All right, folks, we are live. Hoodie on, celebrating uh, young Trayvon. Uh, anniversary yeah. of his death recently. Uh, <laughs> recently. So I wanted to make sure that I had a hoodie on. Doc, I know how you feel about your hoodies. And I know how I you mean, feel I got about... one. Should I go run and get my hoodie? Just be like three times. Young, hoodie? bro. Um, where I posted a uh, Skittles Arizona tea uh, picture. And it was like, if you know, you know, most folks don't, right? Uh, because it happens so much in our communities to the point to where it's like, who's next? What's next? Right? So it's kind of hard to keep track yeah, man. of these lives that are being lost. So tonight's show, you know, uh, we're talking about racism being everywhere. And this is going to be a pretty impactful show because, you know, I got a lot of things teed up so that we can talk about it, discuss it. Uh, hear from our audience and uh, and get this thing moving. And so I think the first thing that I, that the first topic we talk about is uh, is, is white folks in MLK. Hmm. And so I think the reason why this particular issue is important is because uh, come January, mid January, you'll see a lot of novice people become admitted into the academy. On their expertness of Martin Luther King Jr. and his teachings, right? And so you'll start seeing folks that'll be like content uh and color, right? That's all you see is content and color, right? And and then all of a sudden it becomes like I'm an expert on MLK because you know I of the I have a dream speech, right? And so many folks are not focused on the work that he did prior to and the work that he did after and in deep reflection uh some of the things and some of the conclusions that he came to post his i have a dream speech right and so mm. these white people be going around here all rampant like they're experts and so i wanted to jump in uh, and get y'all's thoughts in terms of what y'all's view on this as folks that are admitted into the academy uh <sighs> uh uh forever tenure uh rob and uh future tenure uh h what what what's happening? What we what's our thoughts? <laughs> Wrapped on into you. I mean, first of all, I think people in general, not just white folks, but even black people, I've come across, but people misunderstand his legacy, right? Like King was connecting the dots between racism, classism, and militarism at the end of his life, and the same people who celebrate him now called him a Marxist called him a communist, called him a socialist. And, and I, I find his legacy to be complicated. I find his legacy to be productive and inspiring when I just think about the ultimate price that he paid. Um, and he predicted it, right? When he said, I, I may not get there with you. He knew it was going to happen. And so when I pe see people coming out of the woodworks, I'm always like, Okay. And, and sometimes I'm a jerk about it because I will keep track. For a while, I used to write it down. Like people who used to come out and say all sorts of things at work about King. And I used to bring that back full circle at moments when I needed to, when it came to the complexity of his narrative, when they would always say, well, Dr. King said X and Y and Z. And I'm like, yeah, but you got to read the two pages after that and letter from a Birmingham jail. Like you got to read and, and continue to, to go when he starts talking about the fear, ur fierce urgency of now, right? It wasn't just this random thing. So I, I, I just chuckle at it, but it's not surprising because I think they've commercialized Dr. King, unfortunately. Far too many people have. Yeah. H, jump in here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I agree. I think, you know, we refer to that as like cherry picking, right? And so folks take the pieces of it that they like mm. and that feel good and feel comfortable for them. But, but we talk about that as a danger in research because you can't just pick and choose the things in the story that you want to tell. You have to be authentic and operate with integrity and, and speak all the things. And so it's interesting that folks would say Dr. King would never do that kind of stuff when it's exactly what he did or that white folks will hold him up and like celebrate him when it What's going on with H? She got some internet issues. Let's help our sis out. Let's get in here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, kind of continuing with where she was going, 
Um, and I think about uh, the, oh. There you go. You back. You All back. right. I didn't realize that I was, was gone. You missed that goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you know, yes. Say, you know, I think we have to, to do a better job of, of holding one another accountable and holding specifically white folks accountable when they are speaking about specific parts of his life and his legacy and his work that they admire and not acknowledging the other one. And so when I was talking to Doc earlier today, he asked me a question. He said something like, you know, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind in your work? And I and I was like, wow, like I just was calling to say, hey, what's up? I didn't expect to get a life coaching session. But I think when we think about MLK, we have to be thoughtful about the ways that our work will impact others and the misinterpretation of it and, and how folks will tell our stories when we are not here. And we need to make sure that we are truth telling while we're here. So mm -hmm. to the right audiences, right? So that someone will mm -hmm. hear that and check other people. If you didn't know any better and you weren't a student who had to read letter from Birmingham jail or went to visit these monuments in Atlanta or took it upon yourself to learn about Dr. King and the Freedom Riders and other folks in the civil rights movement, you would think that all he said was one speech and then he just magically disappeared. You wouldn't put those things in context. And so I think we have to do a better job of protecting the legacy and being curious and also doing what Doc reminds us to do and realizing the nuances, right? Like nobody's story is, is crystal clear and perfect. There were a lot of things that Dr. King could have been criticized for, but we have to think about how we tell that story and who is left behind to interpret it and call folks out when they decide to just cherry pick and take the things they like to create a whole story about this wonderful person. Yeah, I, I, I feel it. Uh, thank you guys for sharing that. Um, I, it came to me because, you know, today, I'm not sure if you, you guys are familiar with this guy, but uh, Christopher Russo, he is the uh, the manufacturer of of, uh, of, of the anti-CRT movement, meaning that he took everything under the sun, threw it against the wall to see what would stick. And then some of the stuff that stuck, uh, he created this anti-CRT movement. And uh, earlier today, he was on a podcast with some school choice folks. And he was like, uh, you know, uh, MLK, uh, Martin Luther King said, or Martin Luther King would feel. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here, bro. <laughs> Yo, it infuriated me, man. It infuriated me. It made me, it, 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 I have a new stance on school choice. I'll be talking about that later. Uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm no longer in that tent. Uh, but, but whoa, 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 before we get there, before we get there, we got a lot of work whoa. to do, right? Here's Dr. Yeah. King. I whoa. keep on hoping, uh, I still have faith in the future, but I've had to analyze many things over the last few years, and I would say over the last few months. I've gone through a lot of soul searching and agonizing moments, and I've come to see that uh, we have uh, many more difficult days ahead. And some of the old optimism was a little superficial, and now it must be tempered with a solid realism. And I think the realistic fact is that we still have a long, long way to go. Bro, no words truer to this day. Uh, we still have a long way to go in terms of understanding uh, racism and its impact. And so when you have uh, these politicians that are coming out that are like, oh, there's no racism or whatever, right? Like, we know that that's a load of shit. C-H-I-T. What do they believe? Because I, I, I started to tweet something the other day. Like, if they don't, so that there were three senators, or congressmen, forget, forgive me that I don't know, that didn't vote for the Emmett Till lynching bill. Uh, it was and one. Thought, it was only one. It was only one. I thought I saw three. Okay. But Rand what, Paul. What? Rand Paul was the only one. Huh. No, there were three in the House, there though, I think. Three in the vote. House, though. Okay, okay, all right. And anyway, only one. what all right. makes them believe that there is no racism? Like, if if you don't believe it and it doesn't exist, then, like, why not vote for a bill that you think won't be used? Like, what? I just don't get the, the thought about how you can say, like, it just doesn't exist. They're making this up. Everybody gets the same opportunity. It, like, what, what, what data are they referring to? I'm going to, wait, wait, wait. Hey, I'm going to quote the great... Dr. Heather Harrison. <laughs> and I actually have this written on a piece of poster paper in my office in the house. Right. And at one point in time, 
I literally remember you describing what you have called the fatigue of hope. So what I come back to is this idea that we are hopeful that folks will actually do the right thing Mm. and it exhausts you. And this is a classic example of the fatigue of hope. Right. And so for me, I mean, I saw that on my Twitter feed and kept going like, yeah, like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And I think that for me, to Dr. King's point, I remember when George Floyd was murdered and I had somebody call me and ask for a comment um, for an article. And I said, I mean, I'm sad, but like, I'm not surprised. And this isn't actually new. It's just that this young 17 year old black young woman had the courage to record it. Hmm. And she's revealing for the rest of the world what we know to be true in our society from Emmett Till to Rodney King to all the other ways in which black trans folks have been brutalized, Mm -hmm. which we need to talk about in the black community, which we don't, at least not extensively for all sorts of reasons that I won't go into right now. Mm -hmm. The ways in which black girls are drug out of schools, the ways in which black bodies are violated and abused, not just by Derek Chauvin, but by systems ain't surprising to me. So like I, I don't, I wasn't surprised by any of it, right? And I think the fatigue of hope is real. Yeah. Right? It's also, yeah. I'm sorry, Doc. There's also this like fatigue of hope that grows into this numbness or this like paralysis, right? Like you keep making me think that I'll just be still because it'll be hopeful, it'll be better, and it'll, it, it, it gets to what Ray often pushes us about, like less talk and more action. And so if you can, if you allow the fatigue of being hopeful and optimistic, I mean, even in that clip, right, you can see that there's a different kind of energy, right? There's a little, it feels a little like I'm exhausted at this point. Like I'm tired of hearing myself talk. I'm tired of saying the same thing over and over again. You know, I keep trying to inspire y'all, but I'm beginning to see some things differently. And someone put in the chat that that was the 64 king and we have to also understand 64 67 forgive me but we have to also understand that as people get deeper into experiences as what they see changes and evolves that the way they stand on a position can also evolve and change and so where i may have been less motivated to be active on one issue might look different three or four years from now or three or four years ago. And so we have to also think about how time and the context of it and the experiences of what's happening at that moment are also shaping what people know and understand. But we have to like get away from the fatigue turning into paralysis and turning into numbness where we just think all we have to do is hope and things will get better. Because we know for sure that that's not true. Mm. I feel it. Thanks, H, for sharing that. All right, so, you know, this next topic that we brought to get into, man. <laughs> this, yeah, this is crazy. This is crazy. So I'm just going to run into the video first so you guys get a full understanding of where we at right now. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Ooh. So I'm going to run this back. I'm going to narrate this time. White man who feels disrespected runs after a black kid who probably ain't do shit. Grabs his book bag. Puts him against the wall. Smacks him. Kid falls. Acts like nothing happened. Tells white woman he's going back to his class. Man, listen. So I'm going to y'all first. 
because I got high blood pressure. Huh. And, I will too, better with you. Hey, Doc, on you, baby. What's happening? When I saw that and you posted it on Twitter, oh, hold on. Let, let, let me get let me get El Michelle right. I don't give a shit what kind of kid it is. I don't care what color kid it is. Let's just say that first and foremost. But it happen if it happens to be a black or brown kid. I'm gonna be even more fucking infuriated. But let me set the tone. I don't give a shit what color kid that is. You don't fucking put your hands on no kid. Now, back at it. <laughs> so when I saw that, I had two reactions. One was as a parent, uh, realizing every day that I entrust another adult to not just educate my children but to treat them with humanity and like and acknowledge their humanity and yes kids can make you mad but you like no the second piece is as someone who studied the work and my academic cat is um it makes me wonder as a researcher not as a parent how often does this really happen and it goes unreported in school? Because the thing for me is when I know schools haven't been in schools as a teacher, leader, that the there are numerous ways in which people operate and run schools, right? And to read, I think, Ray, you mentioned that He's fired, but he gets his full pension, I think. Yes, sir. Right? Or somehow he's not there anymore and he gets his full pension. And I'm like, <laughs> well, wait a minute. So ain't no charges. Ain't no... Because, like, they, they've you arrested... Gotta, you got to understand where you are, though, right? And where so did this happen? I'm, I'm, I'm going to share the screen just so we can get some context or whatever. Um, so... In a in an early in a earlier iteration of this video, mm. um, there was uh, there was so they did first of all they did not um, oh. in the early in the earlier iteration of the video they did not uh, the face was not blurred right, and then also this happened in Indiana uh, at at a high school in South Bend, and so South Bend you already know. Mm. You know, you yeah. already know what, what's happening in South Bend. Yeah. But even look at how they framed it, right? Indiana teacher who struck student instead of adult who is supposedly responsible for ensuring the safety of kids chases and assaults a child in the school building. Because that's what happened, right? right? Like that was about power. That was about intimidation. That right. teacher saw red. He was beyond his ability to control himself. And now he has consequences, some consequences, if that wasn't a different kind it's, of community. It's, it's not really, it, H, it's not really no consequences. Because right, con exactly. Consequences for me is, first of all, somebody beat him up, right? Because like, if, he, if he's working in my school building, I'm putting Come myself on. on a teacher level. Putting myself on a teacher level, right? Mm. If I'm in charge of this student, somebody comes to tell me, a student that I made a connection with. Hell, he didn't even have to be a student that I made a connection with. I, it could be a, a student that I didn't have a connection with. Mm -hmm. Somebody tells me a teacher, a male teacher, put his hands on a kid that cannot defend himself, right? I'm losing my job that day. Because then, right then and there, that's not the teacher. That's not the teaching profession that I signed up for. That's right. Right? And I think that what hits me so hard about these kind of things and, mm -hmm. and, and and Doc Rob, you, you talked about it a little bit earlier, is the fact that this kind of shit happens all the time. These unions protect these teachers when it happens, right? Nobody talks about that because a lot of the silence of it not being reported falls on the teachers' union as well because they have the power and the authority to silence it and make it not get anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Then when these things go to arbitration, 
you know, they'll find something like, oh, well, you know, this the, the kid did this. And it, it becomes a kid blaming thing as mm-hmm. opposed to this grown ass man just smack this little baby. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And but the same thing falls for me as an administrator. Mm-hmm. This happens on my watch. We are fighting. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. I I, yeah. I I get it. I think, you know, what, what are your thoughts about the adults who it looked like trying to not necessarily intervene, but the way that they were coming out and then the woman to kind of stand and like, it was obvious that, that this was not a safe situation at all for this young person. But it, it gets to the point like, we, we got to do a better job and we can't keep talking about we want schools to be schools that are safe for young people. They're not. Not every school is safe for young people. Not everybody has somebody that that they can go to. And we also have to teach teachers how to intervene, right? You didn't just walk out of that room. There was some yelling. There was some commotion. That's That's why other people were looking. How do we empower teachers to check each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, Oh, there's a pink wall. H, 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 you've led schools. You've won awards for leading schools. You know how to engage communities. You know how to engage your staff. But at the end of the day, when you're working in these schools with these unions, there's a pink wall. Just like how we talk about police officers and there being a blue wall of silence when these cops do certain things or whatever. When these teachers do certain things, there's a pink wall that we don't necessarily talk about. I say pink, hey, we could change the color. It could be uh, uh, fruchsia, whatever the hell color you want it to be, right? There's a wall. And they don't, <laughs> and they don't, they don't, they don't talk, they don't talk about it, right? And so, uh, and so, we need to get more folks out that are kid first uh, in terms of how they're approaching these situations. Man, they got me hyped right now, man. In Indiana, in Indiana is the same state that we just talking about where they were trying to pass a bill, um, some kind of anti-black bill. I mean, everybody's passing anti-black bills, but like oh, they <laughs> another one, another one. Another one, but uh, it ended up failing for now, right? But you know who who knows who's gonna bring it back to the floor, and yeah. if they're gonna have enough votes or whatever, you know, folks always it always feels like you know you one vote away. Yeah, man. man, it's a painful video to watch, man. Like when I saw it, I literally shuddered because um, I just. I don't know why I just had this like reaction of being surprised because I shouldn't have been, but I was kind of like, well, we doing that? Like, what? I know if that young man would have hauled off and kicked him or hit him, that the whole narrative would have been completely different. Oh, it would have been a whole different black black young man, not child assault. It had been a whole different thing. And then again, you get back to cherry picking, right? Then we got to create the narrative. Oh, he's disappointed. He's done this. He That's did right. This. He's been problematic in other classes. We tried to bring in the families. We were going to do an intervention. And we shift the focus to what the kid is experiencing mm-hmm. and how he is showing up and not the grown mm-hmm. adult who's supposed mm-hmm. to know better. And I would say mm-hmm. to any teacher out there, if you have a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, somebody that's co-teaching, if you see them doing something or beginning to engage in a behavior that you know is not going to be like, ha- have the tools, have the strategies, know what to do. Call for some help because somebody intervening could have saved the situation. And now this young man is traumatized, and that's not okay. For life, mm-hmm. you hear me? For life, right? Yeah. And so again, we don't, we have, we have not corroborated if this, if this, if this young man is black. Uh, we don't know from 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 the video. But here's some things that I would venture to say. Recently, there was a school board meeting in which. Uh, you know, folks came out in droves, in mass, to defend uh, this teacher not being fired, but to be uh, allowed to retire so that he can receive his pension, right? I don't see that happening, and I'm going to go out on the limb here, if that was a little white kid that he smacked, right? Also, I don't see that happening, and this is the part, this is the part of the show and this is the reason why y'all came. If y'all in the audience, y'all with us, let us know y'all with us. But if that was a black teacher hmm. and that was a white kid, that is what we need to talk about right now. And nothing That's, else. That, that right there, if that would have happened, H, you'll appreciate this. If that would have happened in Bethesda, Maryland, 
Come on. That teacher would have been front page news and in jail for assault and battery. And then they would toss in assault and battery with intent to do great bodily harm. Great bodily harm and endangering the welfare of a minor. That's right. That's right. They might even and, go for the principal or an administrator who knew that the right. person was there that's and right. allowed this dangerous man to continue to serve you. I mean, yeah. it would be off the chain. I, I I just I just can't even imagine how that would be and uh the ways in which then it feeds the narrative in a particular district around black teachers. Of course. You know, and I think that it has this domino effect on how people view us as people, but also or not, or not, or not, yeah, or not, right? Where they question our sheer humanity, Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that, um, yeah, I couldn't even imagine that. That sickens me that it's a part of our analysis that we have to, you know, consider that. So one one more stakeholder to consider. These parents. And I know if that was my kid and my kid came home and was like, Dad, such and such manhandled me and then smacked me, you're gonna see a whole different kind of you're gonna whole see a see a whole different kind of dude at that school. Security, it don't matter, it don't matter what y'all do, don't matter. Somehow or another, that teacher gonna have to see me. Yeah. It could be an Applebee's. Other young people alone to go chase after an eight year old, a child, right? Like he left it's, the class. Like it's just. Yeah. It could be. It could be an Applebee's. He can come get this ass whooping <laughs> in the neighborhood. He he could come get this ass whooping in the neighborhood. He gonna get it. <laughs> he gonna get it. Man, yeah. that's crazy. All right. So next up for us, right? Uh, so <laughs> me being me being as hilarious as I am sometimes, right? So I'm sitting and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at um at this Target advertisement, right? And so it says Target minimum wage raised to twenty four dollars an hour, right? And so I immediately start thinking about my hood, like, damn, twenty four dollars an hour. Then I started doing some math on on a, on, a, on a napkin, right? So I'm like twenty four <laughs> times tw- tw- uh twenty four dollars an hour times five days a week times Four eight times eight, 40 hours a week, that gets you right out at about fifty thousand dollars, right? And so that's not including the three to uh, the three to four weeks vacation, paid vacation that you're gonna get, the possible opportunities for you to get overtime, right? Because people call out all the time and you need help, Christmas season, holiday season, all those seasons and whatnot, right? Those are additional hours, so those might be 70 hour weeks or whatever, right? And so I'm thinking about this earning potential. Then there's the possibilities for tuition reimbursement and like all these things that could be game changers for uh, 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 a minoritized community to have this type of opportunity, right? Am I going too far with this? Am I going too far with my imagination of thinking that something like this could be a game changer for for uh, for for a minoritized communities, or are these types of jobs going to just fall into the hands of white people? What's happening? You, you, you're muted. I can't hear you. Oh, sorry. I was on mute. Uh, so <laughs> when I saw that article that you texted to us, I was like, man. I mean, one, I, I always appreciate you, bro. And you know that because <laughs> I loved your article because <laughs> I'm going to go there real quick, right? <laughs> this is a total detour. <laughs> Because your article read like I was listening to the Ten Crack Commandments for Big. <laughs> I was like, "This is my dog." Like he connected Target to to the dope boys on the block, and how how this how we use this to get them out of the game. And I'm like, and you had some analysis around benefits, the same way that Biggie talked about. Don't get high in your own supply, right? Because it's detrimental to business when you do that. Of course. Right? So that's one piece. I got to shout out my dude and his uh, article that he wrote <laughs> on his blog. So the second thing is, when I think about Target, 
It's also about doing a market analysis of where Target actually is in communities, mm. right? Mm. Because it becomes a transportation issue, mm-hmm. right? So yes, you can have this $24 an hour gig, but can you get there mm. with public transportation? And that's something that I don't know because I haven't done enough research to see where Target is. Now in DC, you could get there because it's right around mm-hmm. the corner from Columbia Heights uh, Metro stop, right? And so you can, you know, uh, it, it's, it's uh, super helpful to know where these places are. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it excites me to realize that people are looking at providing people with a living wage. And I was just mm. in a conversation with some people for a project in Atlanta, thinking about universal basic income, right? What does it actually look like for universal basic income? Because on the one hand, yes, it's great that Target is doing that. But on the other hand, will that allow them to be successful depending on which part of the country they're in? Because on Long Island and here in D.C., I mean, $24 an hour is good, but, like, I, I, it would be hard to uh, – I don't say it would be hard. It could present challenges to live even off of $24 an hour, depending on the size of your household. Um, and so I think – I celebrate Target for that, but I also think we still need to challenge – the way the housing market has become the domain of people who have more than 20% down payment. So I think it's a gift and a curse. Um, I'm excited about it. Um, and Nicole is a long time target employee. Mm. Huh. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I ran into, um, so, it, it kind of forced a lot of dialogue with uh, with former college uh, co- college folks that worked at Target or whatever, like during mm-hmm. the breaks and when they came home or whatever. And it turned into like, a really good conversation in terms of like you know what the potential is. But I I think for me and like the I think the the, the troubling piece for me is because you know like my mom is a, a Walmart head, right? Like my mom, you you you're not gonna get Paula to go to any store besides Walmart, right? Like she may venture to Target, right? But like Target ain't her home. Walmart is her home, right? But like when we talk about this, when we have this livable wage conversation uh, with Walmart, who I love, shout out Walton, right? We ain't disrespecting Walton here. Um, <laughs> but when we <laughs> when we when we have these these types of conversations, like you know, when, when workers start having conversations with, with Walmart, Walmart will leave town before they allow you to unionize, think of unionizing, think of any of those things or whatever, right? And so that's another part of the conversation that, that that we have to have as well. And no, I'm not anti-union. I'm anti the bullshit, right? And so we are all hired to, to come to work to do a job. You are hired to come to work to do a specific job. Nothing should prevent you from doing that job. Yes, working conditions need to be amazing in order for you to do your job. But when you stop doing your job, we need somebody else in here that's going to do their job. Right. Especially in education, like these kids don't deserve to have to go through all this bureaucracy and all this red tape in order to get someone in there that wants to be in there with them. Right. For folks that are asking if I'm anti-union. No, I'm pro kid. Yeah. So always pro kids, um, always anti-bullshit. I think with the target thing, though, it's also about how we are creating opportunities for upward mobility. Because mm. even if you have $24 an hour now and that's a livable, that's not even a livable wage, that's $50,000, you can't do that for 20 years. We want to see people in, mm. talk to me about wages, talk to me about scholarships, talk to me about promotion programs, talk to me about sponsorships and how are we creating opportunities where we're doing, letting young people who are in college do the campaign, have internships. Yes, provide them with livable wages and it's one of those both and, right? We need this and we need more opportunities because sometimes we can get stuck in this cycle of, well, I make enough money to live now and then that can also 
have a negative impact on our upper mobility, whether we can own homes, whether we can move, what kind of opportunities that we can have. And so it's, it isn't just an approach that would be one thing. We need to do more around wages and housing. We need to do more about housing and transportation. We need to do more about unions and healthcare. Like it's a combination. We can't just yeah. caught up into one thing because even if you give somebody $30, $40 an hour, if they don't have children or if they're being taxed very hard or they own, don't own property, there's more to that than just what the wage would be for their salary. So, I mean, I commend them for that and would like to see more around how we are creating opportunities, especially if we see that the good majority of young people who are in those roles that are eligible for those hours are young black and brown people. So I want to mm. see more from Target. Great job doing that and raise the bar for others. Yes, they're definitely gonna raise the bar for others. But I'm, t- I'm telling you, listen. So tar- you know how like people give you the playbook in terms of preventing things, right? Target just get without even saying it, just gave American companies the playbook to stop this unionization witch hunt, right? Raise these uh, th- these livable wages, and then folks don't have to complain, right? You wait, you they they damn near double what what uh, what Walmart was coming in at or whatever, right? Because the next time we have this conversation about livable wage, you got to look at all these people that are not doing what we're doing because mm-hmm. we're doing it, right? And so, how dare you, uh, you know, come in here talking about unionization of what? What can you, what, what can you unionize in order to get? You're not going to unionize to get more pay because I'm already paying you higher than any other Fortune Five company that's in this type of role, right? Yeah. So smart move. But on do you, target, but man. do y'all find that school leaders who have had, you know, different interactions with unions that the primary uh thing that union members talk about is wages that would be about 60 to 70 percent of of what of what uh what they talk about and then once you get them settled on wages then they start talking about working conditions then you get you start you get them settled on working conditions and they start talking about class sizes there's always something that's going to come up and when Mm -hmm. you got somebody collectively bargaining right and it ain't ever about the kids Right. If it was about the kids, then I think it would be a different conversation, right? One hundred percent. Having I'm gonna give you what you need: livable wages and, and high quality professional development and better working conditions keeps employees satisfied. If the teachers are satisfied and able to do their job well, then then they then you don't have all this turnover, then you don't disrupt the pipelines of all these things for kids, and so it can be well. But I think anytime we're making decisions that put adults' comfort and needs over the comfort and needs of kids. Then we've already started at a at a negative place for this conversation. Yeah. You better say it. You better you say better that. say it. Say it and mean it. Hey, El Michelle, 60 k that can't get me back to Maryland, but fifty k at Target, eight hours, no stress, that could get me back to Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> yeah. Merlin, Merlin, like that. You can Hey, I'll be living. Hey, I can live. In, I can live in Patterson Park on fifty k. I'm thinking. Nah, no, Slim. no, 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 no. 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 You burn my ass to get to work every day. How about if I already got a property already down there, already paid for? That's what I'm Lawson. talking about. Lawson. Yes, Baltimore. Here I come. Uh, uh, what's my what's my park where I do my walks? Um, park? Jewish no. Park. No, don't say it like that. Shout out no, to Drew. You, yeah, you know why I said it like that. <laughs> the, park, the park right over by Morgan. Damn, it'll come to me. Um, but there's a nice little uh, a water reservoir. Uh, I do my little walks. Man, it's amazing. All right. So, oh, so I so I'm gonna take take about 10 minutes. I need to get some. I I got y'all here. We're about to do a consultancy, right? And this is this is uh on the spot, y'all don't know nothing about this, but I'm about to tell y'all a problem that I have that's not necessarily a problem, but I want y'all to walk me through the pros and cons of this because, you know, that's just what we do, right? So uh, Governor Hochul, uh, New York uh, governor, uh, has decided that tomorrow uh, masks go off of students. So tomorrow uh, masks become optional in New York State. And so... Already put the letter out to the teachers identifying the fact that, you know, masks are now optional for both uh, staff and students Uh, still working on my wording for parents. Right. Because I want to word this in a way in which they know that, you know, we're abiding by the law. 
I still want to strongly suggest that you know we keep these masks on for you know for for to protect loved ones that may need that type of protection. What is y'all's thoughts? Y'all ain't in the classroom, so y'all can be free. Nothing. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I, I sent, I sent kids to school today, and they already know. Like, keep that mask on, because until they have a vaccine mandate and testing of people when they walk in the door, how how do I know you ain't walking in with COVID? Like what? So you want me to take my mask off? And yes, my child might be vaccinated, but I need them in school because American education hasn't figured out how to do anything differently as a result of the pandemic. So therefore, it means I need them to be um, in school. Um, and we're getting big. We're getting trolls. I mean, Whenever you start getting trolls, well, I would also they trolling because you're talking about. So, I, if I were you, and I was mm -hmm. writing a letter to my community, mm -hmm. I would always find some way to connect it to my core values. So, for instance, mm -hmm. if you had a value that was around at this in our organization within our network, we focus on doing what's right or on caring for our colleagues. And the way we show care in this building is to both respect what the governor said and prioritize what we need to do in order to keep our school and building safe. I would definitely try to find some way to connect it to some language, some value, some expectation that you have, because we always get expectations and directives from district offices and from the government. But at the end of the day, from nine to three, you belong to me. And in this space, here's how we shall govern ourselves. If you have questions, concerns, you need support, holler at me, you know where to find me. But in this building, what we do is we do this. We model this in the way we act, the way we speak, and the way we make decisions about one another. And because of that, the expectation is we do this. That's how I would frame it. I understand that. And I respect both of y'all a lot. Right. Meanwhile, Meanwhile. <laughs> hey, everybody's showing up to race school without masks tomorrow. No. <laughs> or, 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 or if that, hey, listen, listen what, what, I, what I've learned is this, right? You know, uh, we had put out a survey before of, uh, of families, and a lot of families wanted their kids to remain with masks on because they, 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 they viewed it as, hey, we're going to protect our loved ones at home and we're going to take some time to learn a bit more about this uh you know this 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 pandemic or whatever and like what kind of effects it has etc and so i think that if, even if i left it up to parents i think that our school community is so strong in fact that they will make the best decision for their kids which will then turn into the best decision for everybody right that's right for all kids. and so right and so i i, I don't see a mass uh, uh, a, a, a mass uh, mask off type of situation for us, uh, only because like our, our parents know. So all I have to do is say, "Hey, uh, you know, governor said this, but I strongly suggest." Mm -hmm. And you know, high school might show up a little different because these kids are independent and they think that they know everything. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, I think uh, middle and, and and the lower schools will will do what they need to do. All right. Well, thank you for that consultancy. You're welcome. Your bill is back, in the to, <laughs> back to the show though, because we got uh, some other things we need to talk about. Um, so man, and uh, and Doc, I know you've been talking a lot about this, so you know I know you. Can, I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you the screen in a second, but I want to make sure I get the article up. Um, this is kind of wow. And so, uh, you know, we, we talked about this the other day about, you know, the U.N. admitting that, uh, well, they didn't admit it the other day, but we had talked about some things that were happening at the border uh, with regards to African refugees and them not being allowed to uh, to enter Poland and, uh, and, and, and all these other uh, all these other places. And so, you know, I know you were 
a little bit taken aback at the fact that even in war torn areas, uh, you still see racism uh, abroad. And so, walk me through your feelings, man. We talk about it. Where do I start with this? Um, I want to start by saying that um, to wage war on another human being in such a way that you destroy life indiscriminately is barbaric and is inhumane. And I think that um, what's happening to the Ukrainian people as a sovereign nation and as a people who were liberated at one point uh, and have a democratic institution is tragic and uh, is one of the things that I'm not going to lie. I, I wake up in the morning and watch for 30 minutes to an hour. I'm normally not that consumed with the news. Um, and I, I was saddened to see that happening to this nation of people. But I also think that um, when I saw these reports coming out on the news, um, it just reminds me that anti-blackness is global, right? And I think that um, I should have been, I should not have been as surprised, but I thought that war would bring out the best of us as human beings, that we're all in this struggle together and for me as a Detroiter, knowing what Detroit did for the United States of America in World War II, where Detroit was the only place that could mass manufacture parts for the U.S. Army and military during World War II. Other people caught up, but Detroit stopped manufacturing cars to support the war effort. And I think that like, the commitment of black folks in particular to humanity. Um, and now this is not to suggest that we don't have problematic behavior with totalitarianism and dictators amongst black folks. That's not what I'm arguing here. What I am saying is that in the context of how we treat people where whiteness is the dominant narrative and whiteness uh, and, and thinking about Fagan's work around white, white racial framing, the way in which these young people, for the most part, from what I saw, who are simply there to get an education, who are simply there to do well, um, we're told you're not wanted here. For you to go back to where you came from in this country and find another way out. I just found that to be disheartening. But it also is a reminder that anti-blackness is global. Like it is not, it is unique in the way in which race is operationalized in the United States in the same way that the way race is operationalized in other places. However, you, you go to Asia, there's anti-blackness. You go to other countries, there's anti-blackness. And so I, I, it's it saddened me. So yeah, I was I was furious online, and I actually started writing something. But I was like, no, nah, I ain't gonna write that. At least I ain't gonna publish that because <laughs> that's a risk um, that you know um, I got it. We out here taking risks, baby. We out here taking risks. Hey, and hey, and God is gonna provide. We gonna eat. You don't have to worry about that, baby. True that. We gonna eat. Hey, we eat steak. <laughs> We short ribs, hey, and we and we cooking because you know they like to look at the pots we use. We we lose we using le croissant. Le <laughs> but the thing too about like the way we operationalize racism is it all gets back to this fear. Like, what are they gonna do? What if what if they're that kind of person? What if they steal from us? Like it's wait, hey, 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 time out, time out, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. Don't lose your thought. But are you trying to win that that award, like that background award and shit? Like, what is happening back there? Like, you know, background this, this setup, this setup looks real nice. You, you Robert, First of see all, this? Why see this is why we can't be serious because each time <laughs> you want to be like, you looking real nice. I like the way you got your life today. Why are you trying to come at me in my dreams? 
don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> now, when we talk about anti-blackness and we talk about the way that racism is operationalized, we think of it as systems, and it is systems, but it's also people in those systems. It's the beliefs and the narratives that they have concocted in their head about who is violent, who is worthy, who is um, deserving of help and support, what you may do if you get here. We even, around that, the problem here is that even when these people, these students, could justify and explain what their situations were. I'm a student, here's my ID. Like, did we have these beliefs that are just so ingrained in the ways we think and the ways we immediately see people. And I just, I think it's tragic. I think it's harmful. And I think it, it also is very dangerous because when you treat, at least for me, I remember, I can think about times when I feel like I haven't been treated very well in a situation. It stays with you. I can't imagine being on a border, being in a country that I'm trying to, to, to learn at, that I'm here to make a contribution. I have to flee and leave. And the response is, I don't get to go and, and you can't tell me why. And the only thing that makes sense is because I'm black, not because I don't have ID, not because I can't justify where I'm going, not because I don't have any kind of papers or things that tell you you're allowing all these other people to come in. But then when I am there, there's a question that I belong. Um, and, and I think I think it's I think it's criminal. And I and I don't think it's OK. And we have to be. Able, and what happens is too often we think about racism. We think about it in, a, in very limited ways, like this white person didn't do this for this. And we forget about, as Doc reminds us, all of these nuances and how even in, a, even in places that are all Black, we see anti-Blackness there, right? We see anti-Blackness all over the place. We see it in our policies. We see it in the way that we celebrate certain things. We see it in TV, music, radio. We even see it at the lines of Poland during a war. And so we have to be honest about that and we have to to hold one another accountable and be critical both of systems and the people that are in them that continue to perpetuate this kind of narrative that make it dangerous for you to show up and be. But here's the thing with this, right, that, that I always find problematic is that two things can be true at the same time. And y'all have heard me say that before. Y'all know my position on nuance, right? And I always say to folks that if you don't operate with doing some nuance work in particular around race, I always say to folks, you are intellectually lazy, right? And, and I think that, again, this is not an indictment of Ukrainian people and what they're experiencing. It is to say that you can be oppressed and also be an oppressor at the same time. And I think the same thing can be applied to the concept of... Uh, um, uh, of, of the ways in which uh, Dominicans oftentimes treat Haitians, right? And the policies around mm. um, anti-Haitianismo um, and anti-Haitianismo is an actual construct about the ways in which policies on the island marginalize Haitians, right? And like there's actually policies that are designed to do this, right? So it's it's not just to Heather's point. Yes, there's a people element of this. There's a policy element and the ways in which people implement said policies, even though we think about the history of the island uh, of which Haiti and the DR occupy, they both been colonized and marginalized by white supremacy, right? But yet, we perpetuate that level of anti-Blackness when we place oppressor practices on our brothers and sisters who are also oppressed alongside of us. And I think it's important to understand that the Ukrainian people are absolutely being crushed and oppressed by the Russian government. But it is also important to acknowledge that even amidst this war, even amidst the terrible things happened to Ukrainians, that some people, this is not an indictment of all Ukrainian people, that some Ukrainians couldn't summon the humanity inside of themselves to acknowledge the human condition that was universal of all people in Ukraine. Yeah. At that moment in time. 
And that is part of the challenge that we see in democracy, in communism, and in all places, all forms of government, where we would like to assume that the best of us rises at moments of crisis. And when it doesn't, it is a reminder that undergirding so many of the challenges in our global family and global community are issues associated with uh, race and how we've all been indoctrinated into a system. Talk that shit, Doc. All right, uh, we're going into closing thoughts. Uh, H, we're starting with you. What's happening? Close the thoughts because we got to get to this State of Union address so we can. Yes. Uh, so we I, can, yeah. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. So we can we can get to these uh these 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 uh Moscow elected Russian elected senators that we got that are setting up the State of the Union. Yeah. So what? I am excited to watch it this evening. I usually am not, um, but but I think that I'm going to be curious to see. Um, how how we frame things this evening and and the way that the perspectives can change depending on who your audience is um, and and I think one of the things that that I'm leaving this with because while we get to talk and add a lot to other people and add a lot to one another I'm always left feeling challenged and and more committed to thinking about things and so I think we got to think more about humanity and and where we see humanity. If that teacher in Indiana had saw that little, that child as a child and not as an aggressor, um, if the people who are on the borders who have authority to let people in or let people not in, mm. you know, sees other people as human. And so, you know, my charge is to think about ways we can show up and, and acknowledge more humanity this week. And I'll be looking for humanity in the State of the Union today. Thank you, Ace. Appreciate you. Uh, Doc, what's happening? Um... You know, I think um, I'm going to go back to watching more about this uh, whole thing uh, in Ukraine because uh, I'm just fascinated by the way in which uh, one group of people is just totally destroying another in 2022. Like, I can honestly say I did not think this was possible uh, to happen. Like, I just was stunned. And there are elements of racism involved, white supremacy, anti-Semitism uh, has crept in. Uh, there are reports of the ways in which uh, LGBTQ folks are experiencing this experience, this old thing. So I just, I, I'm going to go back. I mean, I am going to watch the State of the Union uh, with our 11 year old. I'm going to make him stay up to watch uh, uh, Uncle Joe and President Biden uh, <laughs> do his thing. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by uh, this. And the last thing, um, you know, I'll say is that I'm excited for this season uh, around the country in particular for black, brown, indigenous folks who are um, persevering in their doctoral programs despite extreme odds. Many people have done doc programs entirely through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wanna give a shout out to them and encourage all of them, including you, Ray, to keep pressing because the ancestors uh, asked this of you. And in fact, the ancestors demand uh, that you reach that finish line. Um, because they actually paid for it with their lives. That's right. Yeah, that's dope. I appreciate that. Uh, so a couple things for me. The first thing that I'm going to say is that Marco Rubio is a trucker and a trucker sucker. And I can't wait for Val Demings to unseat him because he does not deserve the air that he's breathing in mm-hmm. the Senate, right? The second thing that I want to say is that Joe Manchin is an absolute terrorist and he hates women uh congress uh, had the opportunity to provide uh, a a safe harbor way for women to exercise their rights and the republicans in also well he's also a republican too the republicans and joe manchin who's also a republican decided that they didn't even want to allow it to go up for debate Mm. right Mm. and so I'm thinking for this midterm, although I'm not ready to uh, denounce my Republican uh, statesmanship yet. But what I'm thinking for this midterm is that uh, there needs to be a soft cushion for Democrats to be able to do the things that they need to do in terms of uh, passing the legislation that the president wants. And 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 I'll be happy to see that. Right. Um, once we get a formidable candidate in the Republican Party to come in and undo all of those things, I can wait 
I can wait for that, right? Uh, um, so uh, hopefully tonight, Joe gives us Joe gives y'all something that the candidates can then go and use the platform in order to build that momentum, in order to uh, create this blue wave that gets us past this uh, this mansion and cinema faction of uh, of the Democratic Party. And so that's all I got. We'll see y'all next week. Thanks to uh, the Eight Black Hands fans for coming through and pulling up. Uh, this is a pretty good show. I told y'all, y'all don't listen. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Peace. All right. Take care.